We are in Romans chapter 12, Romans chapter 12, looking at verses 9 through 21. And if you, uh, if you don't have a Bible, we, I would invite you to grab one of those blue Bibles located underneath the seats around you. Open that up to page 948. That'll bring you 948. That'll bring you to our text. As Christians, beloved, as Christians, as and let me just keep defining that as new creatures. In Christ, as those who are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, as those who have been set free from the enslavement of sin and have become slaves of righteousness, as those who have been made blessed recipients of God's saving grace and mercy, as those who have been called by God to be holy as those who are to walk in the same manner as their Lord and Savior walked, as those. How are we now, as those people, to specifically behave or conduct ourselves in this fallen world or in the church? Well, I believe Romans 12, 9 through 21, speaks directly to that question. And it is why I have referred to this section of God's word as a Christian code of conduct, a Christian code of conduct. And so you've heard that before if you've been here and have been listening to the sermons. So let's go ahead and read the text now, and we'll jump right back in. Beginning in verse 9, the Apostle Paul writes this. This is to you, Christian. This is to us. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Last week, we looked at five commands or rules as we've been adding to this list or this code of conduct uh, from this section here, and I want to just quickly review those with you. If you weren't here, this might be new to you, but it's always good, as I said before, to review. Repetition is the mother of all learning. So in verse 12, the first one we looked at last week was we are to rejoice in hope. We are to rejoice in hope, looking forward to with confident expectation our incredible future described to us in the Word of God, we are to delight and be glad in it. That is what it means to rejoice in hope. We are to rejoice in the certain glory that awaits us as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our Christian hope is to us the source of abiding joy. And beloved, I told you this last week, this is a decision, it's a choice We have to choose to do this. It's a command. It's an exhortation. Typically, we don't wake up on any given morning just necessarily rejoicing in the hope that is our hope because of our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, but we must choose to rejoice in that very hope. Find our delight in it. Be glad in it. Verse 12, again, the second one we looked at was we must be patient in tribulation. This is all review. As we rejoice in hope, we are to persevere, stand firm, or bear up under the difficult and painful but temporary situations of this life, rather than 
cave in or collapse under the pressure. Be patient in tribulation. Third, we are to be constant in prayer. Constant in prayer. Verse 12 as well. Prayer must be for the believer a priority for us every day and throughout each day. Prayer is not optional for the Christian, beloved. Not optional. Rather, it is mandatory. And as I quoted you last week from one writer who said this, the local church exists to accomplish things that aren't possible. The local church exists to accomplish things that aren't possible. The church exists to to see people transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light and then transformed into the likeness of the Son of God, which is all impossible. It's all impossible through human endeavor or strength. But with God, all things are possible, which is why we need to pray. We need to pray. Unless God is in it, nothing we do will be of any eternal significance. We need to be constant in prayer, beloved. Verse 13, number 4, we are to contribute to the needs of the saints. That is, we should be looking out for and be willing to help to the best of our abilities, our brothers and sisters in Christ, when they are truly in need. And fifth, lastly, what we covered last week, again in verse 13, we are to seek to show hospitality. We should seek to be a blessing to other believers by welcoming them into our homes where we can take an opportunity to temporarily serve, support, and care for them, encourage them, love them. It's an expression of our love for the body of Christ. Now, we'll look at the next command or rule. And by the way, just one this week. Just one. Look back at verse 14. Here it is. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. It's really just one command. It, you, could, you could put it together like this. He's, he's emphasizing something here, but really it's just bless and do not curse those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse those who persecute you. Now, before we look at the command closer, I want to remind you of something that we covered earlier in the chapter in verse 2. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 There Paul says, do not be conformed to this world. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And the will of God he's talking about there is not what job should I take. He's talking about the moral will of God. How should I live my life? How should I conduct myself in this world? And how am I going to know that? By not being conformed to this world or letting my mind be conformed to this world, but being transformed by the renewal of my mind. How is that going to happen? Through the Word of God. The Word of God is going to transform our minds as the Holy Spirit takes that Word of God and convicts us and motivates us and empowers us to believe and embrace and obey the Word of God, concerning how we are to live. I think verse 2 is important, beloved, to remember because if you have allowed this fallen world to shape your thinking, and I'm just going to say this, we all, to one degree or another, have allowed this fallen world to shape our thinking. In fact, I would say a good portion of the Christian life is undoing that very thing and not letting any more of it be absorbed into your mind, not embracing any more of it. But if you have allowed this fallen world to shape your thinking concerning Paul's command in verse 14, then the idea, listen, the idea of blessing those who persecute you will likely sound absolutely ridiculous or foolish. Hello? Huh? Right? You got to be kidding, Paul. Bless those who persecute you? Bless and do not curse? Really? Listen. The world says things like this. Tell me maybe you've heard this. You've got to fight fire with fire. Hello. Beloved, you're not going to find that in the Scriptures. That's what the world says. And by world, I mean the fallen world, the broken world, the sinful world. The world 
that is not conforming itself to the Word of God because God is not even living in them. They are apart from God. They still live in rebellion to God. They express it in a Uh, many various different ways. They may be nice people, kind people. They may be all that. They may be polite people. They may not be. But they're still living in rebellion to God to one degree or another. And it gets expressed in these kind of ways. You've got to fight fire with fire, my friend. And they think that's good advice. And what does that mean? Well, it means this. It means you need to meet aggression with aggression. That's what it means. So... If someone shoots up your house, you better shoot theirs up. Huh? Does this not happen in our world? Does this not go on? Ask LAPD if this goes on or not. Ask Ontario PD if this goes on or not. Ask Fontana PD if this goes on or not. I could lame off every other city as well, beloved, but there are some where it's more heavily concentrated than others, and it occurs more frequently, that's all. You, show, you shoot at my house? The answer to that, you meet aggression with aggression. You fight fire with fire. That's the only way they're going to learn. So, if someone speaks harshly to you, you speak harshly back. That's what it means. Meet aggression with aggression. If someone wrongs you, then you know what you got to do? Got to give them a dose of their own medicine. You ever heard that phrase? Give them a dose of their own medicine? They need to, they need to taste what they're dishing out. Beloved, hello. Have you ever heard this advice? And have you ever given it? Don't answer that, don't you? Okay, yes, all right, that's fine too. Yeah, possibly, you may have given it. You may have given it, and, you know, maybe it was pre-Christ, maybe it was after, because your mind wasn't transformed yet, right? So now, here, we come across the Word of God. Remember I said, let it have its way with you, beloved. Let it have its way with you. Let me just say, if you think you're going to live the blessed life but resist the Word of God, uh uh-uh, it is not going to happen. It is not going to happen. You'll suffer greatly. You want to follow the advice of the world? You want to live according to the world's ways? You will suffer greatly. And, it's, and, that, and it should be that way, right? Do you, can you imagine if God went ahead and blessed you even though you weren't living, living according to his word? What if he did that? That would be ruin for you because you would continue down the same dumb, unrighteous, destructive path if he didn't bring some correction into your life, if he didn't cause you to come undone because of your foolishness, because of your resistance, because of your rebellion. But our God is a loving God, a loving Father. So like any good father, he says, enough's enough, child. Enough's enough. Do you want to live like a fool? Then I will let you experience the results of your foolish living until you find yourself on the floor crying back out to me. And then maybe I have your attention, and I'll bring you back to the place you should have been in the first place, which was in the Word and under it, living in obedience to it, submitting your mind and your heart to all that I have said to you. Beloved, that's everything I just said, all that, that they've got to give them a taste of their own medicine, you've got you to teach them a lesson about how unpleasant it is to be wronged. All that nonsense is the world. It's the world, beloved. It's the world. But Paul, an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, says to bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. That's what he says. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Which one are you going to follow? The world or the apostle Paul, who is an ambassador of Jesus Christ, an official representative who wrote the Holy Scriptures through the Holy Spirit? Which one are you going to follow? That's really the choice we have every day. What are you going to follow? The world, your own sinful tendencies, or are you going to follow the word of God? What are you going to do? And one writer commenting on this and why I hammered away at 12 too, he said this, a beginning of obedience to this command, that is to bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse, is possible for those who stop allowing themselves to be fashioned after the pattern of this evil age and continue to let themselves be transformed by the renewing of their mind. Beloved, I could say that for every single exhortation that we find here in this passage. What are you going to do? Are you going to stop listening to the world? Or are you going to do that? Or are you going to continue 
to let all that pollution come in and ruin you as a Christian. Let's take a closer look at the passage by first considering three words that are in it. Bless, curse, and persecute. Bless, curse, and persecute. The Greek verb translated curse doesn't mean using foul language. That is how we define it. It is one definition of it, but it's not the definition here in the Greek. But rather, it means to execrate. And you probably don't use that word either, but it, that can be defined as to feel or to express great loathing for or hate. To feel or express great loathing for or hate. That's the Greek definition of that word, curse. The Greek verb translated bless, bless means to speak well of, to speak well of or to act kindly or graciously toward, kindly or graciously toward. Uh, In fact, if you've been to a funeral, often at a funeral, a eulogy is read, a eulogy. You guys familiar with that? It's not only at a funeral, but that's typically where people experience that. And it's usually a a short uh, piece, a couple paragraphs maybe on, on the person who has passed away, and it's very kind and gracious towards them. It's a kind of a praiseworthy statement, giving them praise for the things that were maybe praiseworthy in their life. Typically, often eulogies are a little bit, maybe uh, because of the situation, maybe not everything is exactly true, but the person's, you know, trying to really highlight the good stuff about that individual. Well, the Greek word, eulogy, our English word eulogy, it comes from that Greek word. The same one here, okay? One writer commenting on this, uh, this, these two words, curse and bless, he just says blessing and cursing, they're opposites. They're, they're opposites, wishing people respectively good or ill, good or ill, blessing or cursing, or health or harm, blessing or cursing, okay? Total opposites. Concerning the word persecution, one Bible commentator said this, Persecution could take various forms, right? So running the gamut from verbal abuse and social ostracism, like, you know, you're, we're pushing you aside, we don't you be part of us, we're keeping you, locking you out, to the use of violence resulting in death. There's a wide gamut here we could talk about when we're concerning persecution. But listen, persecution in some form or another was so common in the experience of the early church that Paul is able to assume as a matter of course that it is a factor in the lives of his readers. Notice he says, bless those who persecute you. He doesn't say, hey, by the way, if it just so happens that you get persecuted, you should bless them and not curse them. He does not say that. It's assumed that it's happening. Bless those who persecute you. And I found this interesting. I was looking at some Bible commentators, commentaries, and there was one uh, Bible commentator. He wrote this back in 1994. I think he would write it differently if he had to write it today, but he wrote this. He says, because of the general tone of religious freedom in, in modern Western society or our society, physical or political persecution for one's Christian faith is rare. Our temptations to curse are are more likely to be in reaction to hostility that does to us no life-threatening harm, but causes rather inconveniences or embarrassments. I I would agree with that statement. Generally speaking, I would agree with that statement. But I wonder where we go next from here. I wonder if, I don't know if that statement will be true going forward, beloved. We live in the United States of America, something we just celebrated yesterday. And for a long period of time, this has been a country where we have not experienced the kind of persecution that the early church did, nor does the church everywhere else in the world experience on a regular basis. Real persecution for their faith in Jesus Christ. But I think that's going to change soon, beloved. I think that's going to change soon. Already on Time Magazine, they're already calling out for the church or basically all nonprofits to lose their nonprofit status in light of the new ruling by the Supreme Court. That will have a dramatic, if that happens, that will have a dramatic impact on the church as it is right now in the United States of America. Many churches will just simply not be able to make it if they lose that status. And that's just one thing. You know, it's interesting in, in Timothy, Paul tells Timothy this. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 through 12, listen, this is what he says. He says, you, and he's talking to Timothy. Paul's writing to Timothy. You, however, 
have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. And then he says in verse 12, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. They will be. They will be, beloved. So, to one degree or another, as you live out your Christian life, my friends, you'll experience persecution to one degree or another. But the persecution of the early church, we, we're kind of clueless about that. And I would say even the persecution that occurs right now in other parts of our world just because you're a Christian. And I would even say this, to the degree that you're bold for Christ, you'll experience more of this persecution that Paul is, is talking about. Huh? I think the church in America probably hasn't experienced as much as they possibly could because they keep their mouths shut. They don't speak out for Christ. They don't say anything. They just kind of mind their business. Don't get involved. And while we'll look at it, we are to live peaceably with all men, that doesn't mean we're not to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, which will cause us not to be at peace with all men because the world rejects these things. They hate Christ. They hate the Lord. But we, in good faith, proclaim the gospel because through it, God redeems from that cesspool of humanity. He draws people out to himself through the proclaiming of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Meanwhile, as we become those proclaimers, we receive persecution because they hate the name that we proclaim. That is, if we're doing that. Very interesting, beloved, just to see how the world's going to play out in the next 10 years. I think there's going to be a purging of the church, personally. There's a lot of uh, professors in Christianity, but they're not possessors. They don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. So when the persecution actually does come, they'll either compromise and say whatever the world wants them to say, or they'll run. They'll run fast and far from Christianity. Now, I want to draw your attention to the fact that Paul does not simply command us in verse 12 to not curse or wish evil, ill, or harm upon those who persecute us, which, by the way, in and of itself might be difficult enough to obey. But he actually says this to bless, to bless those who persecute us. Bless and do not curse them. Do you see that? You see it in the text? Listen to what this ancient theologian, his name is John Calvin, he lived in the 16th century, commenting on this passage, and it's a little, because they spoke a little differently back then, so just bear with the way it's worded, but I wanted you to hear what he said concerning this passage. He said this, I have said that this is, this passage, is more difficult than to let go revenge when anyone is injured. For though some restrain their hands and are not led away by the passion of doing harm, they yet wish that some calamity or loss would in some way happen to their enemies. And even when they are so pacified that they wish no evil, there is yet hardly one in a hundred who wishes well to him from whom he has received an injury. Nay, most men daringly burst forth into imprecations. And, and that is curses. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Take it down. Curses. In other words, this is what he's saying. Most men would burst forth into curses, wishing them harm or ill or calling on God to bring disaster or injury upon them. You know what I'm talking about? Like, I hope you die. And maybe you wouldn't express it that way, but maybe you would. Or maybe they would, those who receive persecution or injury, or I hope you get what's coming to you. You no good for nothing. May God unleash his just wrath on you. Huh? You know what I'm talking about? 
None of you. Maybe you've seen somebody do it or you've heard of someone doing something of that nature. I don't know. Okay? That's the idea. That's what he's saying. Are you kidding me? Even if, even if someone were to restrain themselves and not unleash on one who persecuted them, injured them, would you really expect them then to go even further and bless them? No. They burst forth into cursing. And he goes on. But God not only restrains our hands from doing evil, because that's what that is, but also subdues their bitter feelings within. And not only so, but he would have us to be solicitous, that's especially concerned, for the well-being of those who unjustly trouble us and seek our destruction. You think that's crazy, beloved? Yes, I heard one yes. Okay, see? You think that's crazy, right? Maybe, maybe, pretty, pretty, maybe difficult, pretty impossible, apart from the work of God in our lives. And the world would just say, well, that's just dumb. That's dumb. You're not going to get anywhere in life if you act like that. What, are you going to let people step all over you? That's not what Paul's saying here. He's not saying be a doormat. He's not doing any of that. He's not saying that. He's not saying that you can't defend yourself if someone's beating you in the face. He's not saying that. But he is saying, bless those who persecute you, curse and do not, or bless and do not curse. Wow, Jeremy. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. That is what he is saying. He is saying that. Another writer says this concerning this passage. This is a very difficult admonition one that is completely contrary to unredeemed human nature, those who haven't been saved. Bless those who persecute you. He goes on to say, the obedient Christian not only must resist hating and retaliating against those who harm him, but is commanded to take the additional step of blessing them. Beloved, listen, God is asking much more of us than to uh, just let it go. You hear me? Just let it go. Which, by the way, is often a, people have a hard enough time doing when they are unjustly mistreated or abused. Do you know what I'm talking about? So you can see someone, you know, I'm just, again, now I'm just generally talking about just misabuse, and I'm not talking about the Christian persecution, but you can see the image, right? Someone takes a shot at someone, you know, they didn't see it coming, boom, and hits them in the face, and the guy goes down, and then all of his buddies uh, come over, and they're like, hey, man, hey, man, no, don't do it. It's not worth it, man. It's not worth it. And they grab him, they hold him back. Just let it go. Let it go, right? That's what they say. And then the guy's like, come on, come on, come on, right? And, and then hopefully they, you know, get him out of the bar, because that's where that stuff happens. <laughs> I don't know. It's, actually, it could happen anywhere. It happens at backyard parties, man. There's usually alcohol involved, though. But anyway, uh, you know what I'm talking about? And he goes away, and he's mad. He's flaming hot. He would like to, he would like to have punished him, uh, and he's probably thinking a lot of very bad things about him. And he may even go back and take out revenge upon him. But if he doesn't, then he'd let it go. That is not what Paul is asking us to do. Let it go, let it go. That is not it, that is not it. That is not it. I know everyone likes that song and everything, but that's not, that's not biblical instruction. Uh, one writer says this, the old nature says, the old nature says, curse them! And God says, ask me to bless them. What? Another writer adds this, by prohibiting cursing, by saying don't do that, as well as enjoining or commanding blessing, so he prohibits one thing, he commands another, Paul is stressing the sincerity and single-mindedness of the loving attitude we are to have toward our persecutors. In other words, no ill will at all toward them, but only a desire and wish and prayer for God's best for them. Mm. 
This command in verse 12, to bless and not curse those who persecute you, by the way, is echoed by the Apostle Peter in 1 Peter chapter 3. Let me read it to you. Apostle Peter says this, finally, all of you, again, writing to Christians, have unity of mind, uh, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. A humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. And then he he quotes from Psalm 34, verses 12 through 16, to basically back up what he just said. He says there, For whoever desires to love life and see good days. You want to see good days, beloved? You want to see good days on this earth? Let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. And evil, beloved, would be repaying evil for evil. But let him not do that. Let him turn from evil and do good. Let him bless. Let him seek peace. And pursue it. Are you a peace seeker? Do you seek peace? Or do you look to avenge yourself when you are wronged? Verse 12, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and your ears are open to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now, the Apostle Paul, in his command to us, to bless and not curse those who persecute us is no doubt alluding to and paraphrasing some of the teachings of Jesus Christ that are recorded for us in Matthew and Luke, teachings that the Roman Christians to whom Paul wrote were likely already familiar with, not necessarily because they had access to those writings, but by oral tradition they would have had access. They would have been aware of the teachings of Jesus Christ when he was walking on the earth. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Let me show you what I'm talking about. For instance, in Matthew chapter 5, let me remind you here, probably a familiar section, verse 43 through 48. There Matthew writes this, quoting Jesus, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Why? So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Luke, chapter 6, there it's recorded as well. The words of Christ, he says this in verse 27. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies... Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. Better translation there would be mistreat you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Let me ask you something, beloved. Is that your first response? Is it? Is that your first response? It doesn't really matter. Is that ultimately your response, though? Or is it something else? This is a Christian code of conduct. This is what the Lord is calling us to, how to conduct ourselves in this fallen world, how to conduct ourselves in the church. This is what he's asking of us. One writer says, commenting on that idea of praying for those who mistreat you, there's no better way to express our positive wishes for our enemies' welfare than to turn them into prayer. Luke goes on, a few verses later, verse 32, he says this in verse 32 and 33, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Another translation says, should anyone praise you for that? 
For even sinners love those who love them. And the idea of sinners here is those who are apart from God, they're, they, they're not under the word of God, they're, they're living in the world. But even sinners, they know they love those who love them. 33, if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? You expect to receive praise for that? Then in verse 35, but love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Huh? I love that. You know, we, we regularly talk about, oh, by the way, and he's not saying here, and you will be sons of the Most High. He's not saying, if you do this, then you become sons of the Most High. This is, how you, this is how you become a child of God, by being merciful to those who are not so merciful. No, he's, he's not teaching this is how you earn your sonship. He's not contradicting everything else we learn in the Scriptures. Believers, though, are to be like what they really are. They are to be like their Father. They are to be sons of the Most High because that is what they are. And as such, they will have that recognition. When they act that way, they will be recognized as who they really are. Oh, that's where I was going before I left that. So this idea, you know, people talk about, I'm a child of God, I'm a child of God, I'm a child of God, through faith in Jesus Christ. You know, that's totally true, right? We looked at that in Romans, you bet. And you should be really excited and happy about that, but that has implications. You're a child of who? A father, a heavenly father who is merciful. Merciful. And as his child, you are to behave as your father behaves. You are to act like him. You are to mimic him. You are to, to live in light of who he is. In one of Paul's other letters in the Bible, he says this, by the way, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. This is the Apostle Paul, verses 12 to 13. There he says, when we, and he's talking about himself and his ministry partners, when we are reviled, another translation says cursed, when we are reviled or cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we respond graciously. Another translation says, we answer kindly. Huh? And I only point that out because, oh, by the way, in a few verses later, Paul says in verse 16, I urge you to imitate me. I urge you to imitate me. And then a little bit, of, little bit later on, he says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. He's imitating Christ, and so he calls upon the church to imitate him as he imitates Christ. And this is what it means to imitate Christ. When he is reviled, he blesses. When he is persecuted, he endures. When he is slandered, he responds graciously. He answers kindly. And I, I said all that to say this. Paul is not asking us to do anything in Romans 12 that he himself was not doing. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, Paul, that's easy to say, bless those who persecute you. You ever tried it? Yes. Yes, he, he was living it. He was living it out. This is, not a, this is not the exhortation of a father who says, do as I say, not as I do, right? You probably got that advice from your dad or parent. Do as I say, not as I do. And you're like, what? Okay, and that has no weight, right? No weight with you. But this should have heavy weight with you when Paul speaks. Not only is he the apostle of Jesus Christ, this is a man of integrity. He's doing exactly what he's commanding the church to do. He's living it out. He's real. Finally, there is a great example of Romans 12, 12 recorded for us in the book of Acts. Let me uh, set it up a little bit. A man named Stephen was giving a defense, a defense of the Christian faith. Maybe more of you will be challenged to give a defense of your faith in these coming days. But this was uh, not just to a friend, but before a Jewish council, a hostile council. And towards the end of his speech, he condemns the Jewish leaders for rejecting Jesus. His early days here, 
formation of the church is very, very early on. He condemns them, and that's where we'll pick up the story. And it's in Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7, we're going to begin in verse 51. Stephen is, is speaking. And here he says, You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised and hardened ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so did you, so do you. Which of the father, which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Verse 54. Now, when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. They're mad, they're hot, they're angry. But he, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, born again, this is a Christian, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they, the Jewish council, cried out with a loud voice, and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. You know who that is? That's the apostle Paul, beloved. And later on in verse 8, chapter 1, it'll say that Saul approved his execution, the execution of Stephen. Saul was there. He was persecuting the church. This is before he got converted. This is before God saved him, before he became a Christian, verse 59. So he's watching this all go on, and he's, he's engaging it. He's, he's after this guy. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, crush them all. Do not hold the sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep. He died. He died. Huh? That is a real life example of Paul's instruction, exhortation, command that we just looked at in Romans chapter 12. Stephen modeled for the Apostle Paul. He modeled for the Apostle. The Apostle Paul saw what it is like to live in the power of the Holy Spirit, to live this transformed life, to live in light of the love of Jesus Christ and the grace and mercy that, that is received through him. He saw it played out right before his eyes. He was the persecutor. And Stephen did not call for him to be damned, to be crushed, God, bring down your fire on this, on this unjust behavior. He said, Lord, please do not hold the sin against them. Who talks like that? Christians are to talk like that. Christians are to think like that. Christians are to respond like that. One writer says this, in order to fulfill this command, the command here to bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. In verse 14, we must say no to the natural. It's a sinful natural, but to the natural and sinful feelings that arise in our heart. Huh? Beloved, it would be awesome. It would be awesome if when these things occurred and every, you know these kind of things, persecution of this sense came at us, it was just natural for us to say, okay. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for you. I'm, going to, I'm not going to strike back. I'm not going to seek vengeance. I'm going to pray. Wouldn't that be cool? And wouldn't it be cool if everything like that was natural, right? All the obedience that we're supposed to live out before God, it was just all natural, just came naturally. Wouldn't that be awesome? It just doesn't work like that. It will one day. When we're fully glorified, it will one day. But right now, it is a fight. It is a battle. 
So like when you feel that natural, sinful inclination rising up, bubbling up within you, don't get all crazy about that. Oh my goodness, I am a terrible Christian. Don't do that. But do this, say no to it. Say no to it. This is sanctification, beloved. This is living out the Christian life. Say no to it and say yes to righteousness. I don't know if I can do that. You live by faith, beloved. If the scriptures say do this, then as a Christian, you've been empowered to do it. That's why Paul did it. Stephen did it. Christians did it. We should be doing it and should do it. We have the power to do it. Will we choose to do it? Or will we choose to not say no to our sinful tendencies and walk in unrighteousness? Or will we allow our minds to continue to be polluted by this stinking world? And therefore, our thinking is completely against this. And so, we automatically act as we shouldn't act because we act as the world would act. You hear me? And he goes on to say, striking back is a behavior that no parent teaches, but all children instinctively know. Huh? I mean, no good parent teaches their child, listen, when they take the toy from you in nursery, <laughs> you need to teach them a lesson. You fight fire with fire. They won't come back at you next time, promise. Just right in the throat, I'm telling you. It just takes a... No, people don't. But that is what kids... Have you been in the nursery, beloved? It's a scary place. It's a, it could be, can be a scary place. It's amazing. Little, beautiful little girls. La, 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 la. And then one more aggressive girl comes up and rips the toy out of her hands. La, 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 la. You're like, oh my, that's a monster. And if they had a knife, if they had a knife, they would kill. They would. I mean, now I'm getting real serious. If they had a knife, they had their fist and they can do damage. Sometimes a toy, right? Boo, right in the head. And you got to take them to the hospital, stuff like that. If they had a knife, they'd have no problem. Boom, boom, boom. You go, oh, they don't know what they're doing. But instinctively, that's what they would do. You give them a gun, they'd be like, no problem. <laughs> Take back the toy. And you think that's crazy, but then they grow up, kids grow up unredeemed, and that is exactly what they do. So, yeah, beloved, we're messed up. We are inherently evil. But if we are redeemed, we are new creations in Jesus Christ. We're supposed to be continuing to be transformed, having our minds renewed through the Word of God. We're supposed to be responding to the prompting and, and urging of the Holy Spirit in our lives as we read that Word to come under it, to obey it, to submit to it. And then we find in that same Spirit the power to do just that. That's the Christian life. We live differently, not because we're superior, but because of what God has done in our lives and is doing in it because of who our Father is. Think about this. One writer says this as well. When we get drawn into hurtful, hateful, and vindictive speech, when we begin to curse, and rather than bless, we undercut our message of grace and forgiveness. Huh? Oh, I see, Christian. Oh, grace, forgiveness. But not in this case. I mean, isn't that the, didn't you say you were enemies before God and then he rescued you, he saved you? Even in your vileness and your sin and your rebellion against God, he came in and set you free. He loved you in spite of all that. He had mercy on you and you didn't deserve it. You deserve judgment. Isn't that your message? Oh, I see. But when it comes against you, there is no mercy. There is no love. No, only hate, vindictive speech. You see how it undercuts it? When we don't act as the Word of God calls us to act, just kind of uh, wrapping up, one writer just says this, we should not speak evil about the persecutor or even get delight in thinking of evil things that could happen to him, right? But we should bless him. Needless to say, this is not a natural or easy thing to do. Beloved, it's an impossible thing to do apart from the Spirit of God at work in our lives, apart from being redeemed. This is not the behavior of the unredeemed. I would never ask the unredeemed to try to comply with this. They won't be able to do it. They might even externally look like they're doing it. I pray for you. 
you know, but inside they're dying a thousand deaths and they're thinking, I hope you rot. I hope you rot. Lord, please be a blessing to them. Would you help them come to their senses and see the truth of Jesus? Oh, I hope they get hit by a car. You see what I'm saying? The world can't do it. Those who are professing but not possessing can't do it. But those who possess the Spirit of God, who are being transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, they can. They can do it and they must. They must. They can repent of that sin, those sinful feelings and thoughts. Not enough, beloved, just to say, let's pray for our persecutors while inside you're still hating on them. Not enough. It's a hard issue first and foremost. The gospel not only motivates us to behave like this, beloved. Listen, have we not received grace and mercy and forgiveness? Were you not an enemy of God before he rescued you out of your dumbness? Were you not? Okay? So we're motivated by that very thing to to behave in this way, to give that same treatment to others. Because we receive that type of treatment from our Father. But it frees us. Beyond that, the gospel frees us to to bless and not curse when we are persecuted. And let me kind of just quickly, because we got to do communion, explain how. Beloved, when we're resting in the gospel, when we're focused on the gospel, when we're absorbed with the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ and all that it means for us, okay, then we find our security, our hope, our confidence, our joy, our completeness in the gospel, in Jesus Christ. We're good. We're at peace. Someone wants to come and persecute me for my Christian faith? If I'm trying to find my hope and my peace and my confidence in all the circumstances of my life, well, they just messed with the circumstances of my life. So I come undone. I get mad. I get angry. And and I want to try to fix this. So I'm going to fix it by taking out the persecution, maybe. Or praying that they get taken out. (laughs) But when I'm already at peace, when I have hope and confidence, it's all secure. It's not fluctuating. It's there. Where is it? It's found in the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ, me believing it, me trusting in it. When I'm there already, then my circumstances can be a mess, and I can still just move through it without freaking out. This is the Apostle Paul, beloved. You want to talk about persecution? Day and night, that man was persecuted, and yet... It didn't cause him to go this way or that way. He stayed the course. How do people do that? It's the gospel. It's believing it. It's trusting in it. It's reminding ourselves of it. It's preaching it to ourselves. The hope that we have in Jesus steadies my soul. You want to persecute me? I'm not looking for persecution. But you want to persecute me, United States of America? If, that, if that's what's going to happen... So be it. So be it. I'll stay the course. Why? Because I'm awesome and strong? No. Because of my hope. Because of Jesus Christ. Because of the Spirit of God that dwells within me and empowers me to do just that. I'll stay the course. I'll continue to bless and not curse even when persecuted. That's the Christian life, beloved. Brother, you want to come up and lead us through our time of communion?